Father in heaven, we are so thankful for many things that you've done for us and thankful for this time that we can come here and study your word and continue on with uh, Joseph's journey in chapter 41. Lord, we pray that uh, we learn uh, about your patience with us. And, uh, we pray that we would have patience. And as we go along, we, yeah, we'd like patience if we can have it right now. But Lord, help us to just think about your word and, and how you have a plan for us. Before we were ever born, you knew what you were going to do with us. Lord, we're thankful for Steve and his lesson this morning. We ask you to be with him. And we're glad that their journey was safe and they visited his parents. And Lord, we ask you to be with all of their traveling. Keep them safe, please. And watch over that little four-year-old boy that's having heart surgery. And Lord, we're thankful for this time that we can be together. Ask you to be with Arlene and, and her family and the loss of her father. It's a time of sorrow. Be with them and comfort them. Lord, we ask you to be with the ones that aren't here. Uh, we just pray that you'd bring them back safe to us. Now, Father, we ask you to forgive us of our sins, and we want to thank you especially for your son, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. <laughs> He said he doesn't want them. Okay. But they're working good? Okay. Uh, one other further announcement. Uh, we were there with my, my parents. Uh, they were both uh, extremely ill, and Janet brought it home with her. Hopefully she'll keep it on her side of the bed, not mine. So uh, so far, so good. But, yeah, this morning she woke up feeling pretty bad. So uh, thank Jim for his prayer uh, with regard to the how God knows us and cares for us. And uh, we're going to press on with uh, Joseph and God's care over Joseph. God's plan for Joseph, not just Joseph. This plan goes for a whole lot of other folks. Um, this plan pertains to a lot of folks. Today we're going to put Joseph in the palace. He started out in the pasture, uh, his father Jacob. Uh, go check on your brothers. And we all know what happened from there. Uh, bad things happened from there, but good things that God brought about from that. From the pasture to the pit to the prison, we left him last week in prison. Uh, in Pharaoh's uh, prison because uh, he what he did to allegedly did to Potiphar's wife, which he did not do. And then we're going to end up in the palace today. So you won't have to put up with those peas anymore from me, except for providential care. <laughs> anyway, um, throughout this, everything that bad happens to Joseph, many things bad do happen to him. God is with him. God blesses him. God helps him to prosper. And we'll get like somewhat of the ultimate from the human end prosper today with uh, Joseph ending up in Pharaoh's palace. Along the way, we've also asked uh, some questions. The first question was probably the hardest question, besides the one we're going to ask the very last week. Why were you born? We use the analogy of the, uh, the rising sunset, how God slowly reveals to us that most of us, occasionally he'll have a sunburst, but most of us, it's a slow process. Why am I here? What's God's purpose for me? Okay. Uh, are you willing to wait for God? We mentioned the other day. Joseph in prison? Joseph was willing to wait for God. He had no choice, really. Uh, also, who do you belong to? Whose are you? Joseph knew. 
He belonged to Potiphar on a worldly end and also to God on a spiritual end. And we also, the same way, if we truly know who we belong to, we belong to God because Paul tells us we have been bought with a price. We are not our own anymore. The blood of Jesus has purchased us. So we are not truly our own. We belong to God, part of his family. Uh, much better for that, of course. Last week, he left Joseph in prison, where the cupbearer, who was, you know, re-elevated back into Pharaoh's service, um, Joseph, only this one thing I ask of you, don't forget about me. Tell Pharaoh who I am. Get me out of here. And like many human beings, we are forgetful. And the cupbearer forgot about Joseph. Um, said two years passed. That's a long forget. So Joseph, once again, is waiting on God in prison. That's where we will pick it up today. But first, I have a question for you. We're going to talk about the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God. That's a word we hear quite often, occasionally. But what does it mean? What does sovereign mean, roughly? No no Webster's definition or anything. Remember what sovereign mean to you? Good, bad, in between? Depends, in between, depends, yeah. You can have good sovereigns and bad sovereigns, but generally sovereign means what? What do you think, Arthur? Charge? Okay, I like that. You're in charge! Put it... But it rather succinctly, you are in charge because you are the boss. You are the top dog. Okay. Now you can see how that could be possibly be bad. Some people in charge do not handle it very well. Okay. Fortunately, God handles it very well. The right to rule. That's that's almost Websterish. All right. That's good. The right to rule. You are in charge. Okay. So relate to God. What does the sovereignty of God mean? Got to have a right to rule? Something like that, okay. Let me think that. He does? How do you know? Give me, give me one proof why God deserves to rule. Okay, bingo right there. I made the game, I make the rules. That's the one I like the favorite. Yeah, this is my game, my, my place, my world, my universe. Hence, I make the rules. The boss. <laughs> okay. That's putting a very... Uh, Easy to understand level. God is the boss. Okay? He made the world. He made how things work. He knows the sovereignty of God is good in that he created things and he knows how they work and what is the good way to work something. Okay? The world sometimes will twist God's rules and then take it back. Okay. The sovereignty of God. And with regard to this particular concept, the boss, uh, the creator. I just love El Shaddai. God Almighty. That's my favorite term for God is God Almighty. El Shaddai. So, El Shaddai and God Almighty and the sovereignty of God cannot be taken apart whatsoever. Alright. Now I will come to the point where I have to admit what I forgot this morning. I forgot my glasses. So you guys are going to have to do some reading for me today. Everybody, yeah. I was hoping Hershey would be here with his little cheap Walmart ones. But he, okay. The sovereignty of God. Uh, let's see. 
Curtis is almost right here, I'll bet. Uh, turn to Job, if you would, please. Job 23. Get Amber to turn to Job 42. And Pat to turn to Romans chapter 11. Romans 11. Just cut some scriptures to kind of uh, reaffirm who God is. Job uh, chapter 23, verse uh, 13, if you would, Curtis. Okay. He's the boss. Okay. All right. That's a very punchy way of putting it right there. All right. Uh, Job 42 and 2. 42 and 2. This comes from that great Job 38 to 41. Just a little bit after that. Yeah, just a little after that. Where God puts Job in his place. Job, God puts all of us in our place. I think we should read that. Those three chapters at least once a year. Just to remember who God is, who the great El Shaddai is. I'm sorry, 42 and 2. I know that you can do all things, and every purpose you have is going to be completed, whether we like it or not. Okay? Pat, if you would, uh, Romans chapter 11. Uh, where to go, where to go, where to go? Romans 11, 33 through 36. Give you the big one today. Through 36, uh-huh. 3, 3. <laughs> three three through three six. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has known his counsel? Or who has had first view of his mind? That's good, right? That gives the idea. That's it. That's good. I mean, God's the boss. But he is a, you can have a ruthless dictators, ruthless bosses, or benevolent dictators, or benevolent bosses. God, without a doubt, knows what is best for us, a benevolent dictator. All right. Get to today's question. It seems kind of a, or maybe trendy, or kind of, Frivolous, but how big is your God? How big is our God? How great is our God? Different ways of putting it. How awesome is our God has become a common term. How big is our God? And do we sometimes, question B, <laughs> what am I going to say, Arthur? Okay, I was going to say, sometimes... That's a common term to put God in a box or limit God. Okay. And that, that's a, maybe the, the, the flip side of this, this question. How big is our God? And sometimes do we like to make him a little bit smaller so we can relate to him better, possibly, maybe? But yeah, sometimes we do, as we say, put him in a box. A box that we can understand. Okay? All right. Jim. God is bigger than I can describe how big he is. No, I. <laughs> few of us possibly have flirted with the idea of a class on God. We usually get an aspect of God, the Holy Spirit, for instance. But to do, who is Jehovah God? What is Jehovah God? 
it really is somewhat beyond us. Yeah. And the scriptures very play on that. His ways are just miles ahead of our thinking. And we're going to kind of touch on that here in a minute. Yeah, but I understand you. But Which I think is why, one of the whys, if not one of the major whys, God sent Jesus how? As a human, he started out as a baby. And he, one time he was Jared's age. You know? So that helps us comprehend a little bit of this deity. He was like us one time. That, that helps us. So. so how big is our God is the question we're going to have today. Now, I want to start that off with something I've done before. I'll do a little bit different twist on it, possibly, uh, to emphasize how big our God is, or how great, however you want to put it. I use this quite often, so those of you who have been here for a while, you're going to get sick, I'm going to say it again. The new folks, hey, it's something new for you. Okay. All right. The clear mountaintop view that God has versus our foggy valley view. And we who live in the San Luis Valley understand this very well. There are certain days we get up around here and you cannot see your neighbor's house across the road. I cannot see the Sparks' house. Many days. Uh, you, you just cannot see your, your, the house across the road. If it's over a quarter mile, it is long gone. And then when we go up on top of the pass or on top, you know, some, some mountaintop view, and you can literally see for a hundred miles. And down there, they can't see more than a hundred feet. To me, that is God versus us. God's view versus our view. God's knowledge versus our knowledge. And how that pertains to how great is our God, how big is our God. And I heard a different analogy the other day. This is new for you folks too. Um, how great God's vision is. How, how, how puny we are. A child will look into... This is the old days when you hammer the keyholes. And you had that little hole there you could peek into. And what could you see? Maybe I might be able to see amber if I was peeking through the keyhole right now. Okay? Versus the whole entire room. Okay? I think I see everything. I see a lady sitting there with her Bible on her lap. But I don't see all of the other things that I have no idea but God sees. So, and he related that uh, to how God works in our life. And he threw numbers in just to help us understand. Okay? And I'll throw his numbers out to help you understand, but don't think the numbers are literal. God at one time, or in one day, right now, could be working five, ten thousand different things in your life. For you, maybe against you. For somebody you know, for your future, don't pick numbers literally. God works in enormous things that we are not aware of because all we can do is peek to the little hole and see two or three of them. Oh, yeah, I think I know it all. God's doing this for me right now. I have no idea what the other thousands are. But The Foggy Valley, Clear Mountain View, and also that keyhole thing, I think, help us understand God's enormity. God's knowledge versus us, our puniness. All right. Now I would like to go into Genesis 41 and get today's account. We're going to put Joseph in the palace today. 
and oh boy. And we haven't, we can't read it up on the screen today. I could do it, but it, I would. If you would, yeah. I'm hoping for a volunteer. If you would, let's start out. Uh, we got Joseph in prison, okay? And uh, the cupbearer is going to remember something. So go ahead and start with uh, chapter 41, verse 1. Arthur, I think you're a good reader, right? Again, you look like you're a good reader. Yeah, you're ready to go next, okay? Good, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Can describe a dream? So Pharaoh has those, these two dreams, and uh, Joseph will eventually tell him that they are essentially one dream. Thomas, did you bring your fancy Walmart glasses today? Let me see them here. <laughs> oh, even colorful. Oh, 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 match my shirt. Oh my word. Okay, that's these look awful complicated. Hold the middle. That helps. Okay. All right. Okay. Let's just see. If, does it matter which way they go? Okay. Uh, much better. Thank you, Tom. You showed up just in time. Brother Crawford was getting tired of reading. Arthur was on deck. Okay. Oh, we got. Pharaoh has two dreams. One with grain, one with cows. It's essentially going to be the same dream. Good ones and bad ones. And the, the good things, the good cows, the good grain were ate up by the, the bad ones, the ugly ones. Okay? And nobody can interpret it. Okay? Because all these magicians come in and uh, was their job to do these things? They, I don't know what that means. Okay? And then we go on a little later there and it says, a cupbearer, after two years, mind you, remembered. Okay? Uh, let's go to verse 9. And the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Today I am reminded of my shortcoming. In other words, I am a forgetful person. Pharaoh was once angry with his servants, and he imprisoned me and the sheep baker in the house, the captain and guard. Each of us had a dream that same night, and each dream had a different a meaning of its own. Now a young Hebrew, that would be uh, Joseph, was with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. He told him our dreams, and he interpreted them for us, giving each man their interpretation of his dream. So he tells him, I know this guy, and Pharaoh sends for Joseph. Okay? Joseph gets all cleaned up, saved, new clothes, all spiffied up, and he goes to see, I think we can safely say at this time, probably the most powerful man in the world. You wake up that morning, you're in prison. You've been there for multiple years. Within a day later, 
You're standing in front of the most powerful man in the world with a new suit and looking good. He's going to ask you a question. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, verse 14, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it, but I have heard it said that you, that when you have heard a dream, you can interpret it. And verse 16 is very important. Joseph does these marvelous things for these, his friends, his fellow prisoners, and the most important man in the world. But he does not take the credit for it. Verse 16 says, I cannot do it, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Just like he told the, uh, the two prisoners, uh, the cupbearer and the beggar. Do not all interpretations belong to God? I'm just the, uh, so he said, the conduit. All right. So Pharaoh tells him his dreams, tells him the dreams, and then Joseph gives him the interpretation, essentially telling him there are two dreams, but essentially one dream, one meaning. Okay? Verse 25. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do, a very important folks. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he, God, is going to do. Why can God do this? Because he's, he's sovereign God. He's El Shaddai. He's revealed to Pharaoh what he is going to do. God does rule in the affairs of men. Make no doubt about it. And it's going to happen right here. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. And he tells him the interpretation of the dream. Uh, we all know what the interpretation is. Uh, cut short. What do the seven fat cows mean? What do the seven good uh, good grains of grain mean? Seven good years of good prosperity. Okay. You've got Pharaoh coming up. First you're going to start with seven good years of great prosperity. Your crops are going to be bumping all over the place. Okay. And then the ugly cows and the uh, the bad shriveled up grain. Oh, thank you, Charlie. Uh, did anybody pick them up last week? Good. Oh, you tried. You didn't. I forgot to. I got two hours down the road. And, oh, I forgot to tell them not to pick Leonard up. But you did. Okay. Good. Um, yeah. Not good. But no. Thank you, Curtis. So seven good years, and then the. Ugly cows mean that there's going to be seven bad years to follow. And God is behind this, make no doubt. Seven good years followed by seven bad years. Okay. So what are you going to do about it? Uh, verse 28. It is just as I said, Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt. But seven years of famine will follow them. Then all the abundance of Egypt will be forgotten, and the famine will ravage the land. Verse 33. Joseph has some advice for Pharaoh. Where did the advice come from? Joseph think of this all by himself? Probably not. More than likely, this came from God. Okay, verse 33. And now Pharaoh looked for a discerning man a discerning wise man, and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land and take a fifth, make the numbers, take 20% every year, set it aside. 
20% every year, set it aside. <coughs> Take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during uh, the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held and reserved for the country so when the seven bad years come, you're ready for it. This is like Proverbs, Jim. Stuff like this, this is a proverb. Proverbs tells us to plan for the future. And this is exactly what Joseph, through God, is telling Pharaoh what to do. Plan for the future. You know what's coming. Set 20% aside every year for those seven years. And when the seven bad years come, you're ready for it. Not just you, but other parts of the world. Okay? Verse 37, Pharaoh hears the plan and says, you know, this kid's, this kid's pretty sharp. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and his, his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man, one of whom is the Spirit of God? Now, what did Pharaoh mean by that? Was he a sudden convert to El Shaddai? Probably not. But he could, we mentioned one other time in our classes, the world will notice if you live a godly life. If you are different, the world will notice. I think Pharaoh has noticed that. Okay. And whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. In other words, Joseph, you are now number two in the land. I think... Is not too far to say, Joseph is now the second most powerful man in the world. Wow. It's amazing. I mean, it's... Movies. You couldn't make a movie like this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's, it's phenomenal. Verse 41 says, So Joseph said to Pharaoh, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes and fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. Not bad for a Hebrew slave. He had him ride in a chariot as a second in command and people shouted before him, Make way! Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Verse 46 says, Joseph was 30 years old when this happened. He was thrown in the pit at 17. We're not too sure when he, probably soon after that, the Israelites took him to uh, Egypt, sold him into slavery, so probably 17, 18, he became a slave in Potiphar's house. Not too sure how long he was in Potiphar's house. This says sometime, sometime. And then we've heard the two-year thing. After two years, he remembered, so... Anyway, the last 13 years he has lived one roller coaster of a ride. And now the roller coaster is, is at the peak. All right? Second most powerful man in Egypt at the age of 30. And it goes on and says he did what he uh, made the plan. He had the, the, the put aside 20%. Verse 50 is interesting. Let's stop. Go to verse 50. Before the years of famine came, 
Two sons were born to Joseph by Anseneth, daughter of Potipharah, priest of Bon. Pharaoh gave Joseph an Egyptian wife, the daughter of the priest, okay? And he has two sons, which we have heard about. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh. And said, it is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. The second son he named Ephraim. It is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. Two of the tribes, which will eventually morph into the 12 tribes of Israel, Israel, will be named Manasseh and Ephraim, come from this relationship right here. The Egyptian uh, wife with Joseph. Interesting. Let's wrap it up by verse 56. When the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe throughout Egypt. And all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe everywhere. Next week we will find some travelers who will venture in to Egypt to buy grain from Egypt. We all know who those are going to be. All right, now. What does all this mean? Thank you, Tom. Hold the middle, hold the middle. <laughs> I can see that. The sovereignty of God. How is it proven in this story? Give me some proofs. How do we know God's sovereign by what happened in this story? What did he do? Okay, uh... The, the seed line, we call that, yeah. He, through the bottom line through all this, Tom, is the seed line will be preserved, okay? Let's go a little bit easier than that, though. How do we know God's sovereign by what he did in this story here? He knew the future, okay? How did he know the future? I mean, what, what about the future did he cause the future? Or just let the future happen? Did he cause anything in the story? The future? <laughs> well, did he cause the famine? And it was kind of a sit in the fence this one. What do you think? Jim, you said you had... I think what Amber's saying, he knew it, but did he cause it? Cause the bad. Right? I think what Amber's saying, did God use things that were just naturally going to occur throughout the physical world, knowing they're going to occur, to bring his will about? We'll have Brother Crawford answer that next week's question. Okay. Yeah, that, that is a very good question. Exactly. No doubt. 
did God give the interpretation? Okay, without a doubt. Who put the dreams on Pharaoh's heart? Or Pharaoh's mind, whatever. Uh, I think so, no doubt. God put the dreams in Pharaoh's mind. Okay? He, put, he gave the interpretation. Um, I think he moved Pharaoh to choose that wise and discerning uh, young man to take care of everything. Okay? So, God's fingerprints are all over this little particular story here. Okay? So, let's just stop and just, just, just take stock of what we're here so far, okay? Right now, we have a, a young man who started out at 17 as a shepherd. He became a slave. He became a prisoner. And now he is the second man in charge of the entire country of Egypt, quite possibly one of the most powerful men in the world. An educa uneducated Hebrew slave. And so the employment into slavery and he learns management skills. God. He, gets, he gets in charge of it, gets experience, he knows the hardships that come with leadership. Running Pharaoh's household, and running the prison. prison. He develops four years of leadership skills, all preparing for him. Can you imagine? Making we're getting these fake mother crops, and the government is taking 20% of it, and they're just storing it in barns. Why? Do you know what we could, stuff that we could do with that? In those seven years, I never thought of that way. The temptation to, to use it, or yeah. yeah. Or misuse. Do you understand what you hear what Arthur said? How God was preparing. Similar to what he did with Moses. Yeah. Go on this, go on this, the, 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 the shepherd thing, shepherding business for 40 years, and I'm going to learn you a whole lot of stuff you're going to need in your next 40 years. So when he was in prison, when he was in Potiphar's household and in prison, he was learning the skills he was going to need for when this job came about. To lead and to, essentially, a, a shepherd boy, a slave making state decisions for the most powerful kingdom in the world. What did I say? Did anybody see this coming? Is there any human who saw this coming? If he was, then he's lying. <laughs> but did Joseph see this coming, Tom, honestly? I think I'm in prison, so I can be the most second most powerful man in the world. No way. I don't know if he, at this stage he'd come to that realization. When his brothers get there, and then he knows, you know, I can see, once again, God's fingerprints all over it. You guys meant it for evil for me, but God meant it for good. Right now, does he realize that? I think that may be kind of pushing it a little bit. Eventually, he will. Okay? Hold that thought for another two or three more weeks. But nobody, no human being saw this coming other than El Shaddai. But this is my plan. Okay. And the thing is, as great as this story is, this is a great story right now. 
I mean, to take a shepherd boy, an uneducated, uneducated shepherd boy, a slave, to make him the most, second, most powerful man in Egypt is wild. And God has even bigger plans ahead in the coming weeks. With regard to the sea line especially. Now, with all we talked about today, God's fingerprints over all this whole story. It's God. How big is your God? And that's, you know, whew, God's a big God. But God is the God of Tom, the God of Aletha, the God of Charles. Let's bring it down to a more personal level. How big is your God? Big enough to handle your future. Can you trust him with your future? <laughs> That's the, our, our, our thing we would say right there. God probably needs my assistance with my future, my plans, my whatever. Yeah. And we all fall in that same trap, Thomas. Don't, don't feel bad saying that. Is God big enough for, to handle your future? What else might God be? We volunteered you for a good question, by the way. Go ahead and sit down. <laughs> what else might be God be big enough for? Name something for me. We got your future. What else? I got your pain. Yeah. Are now? Okay, versus the future. Okay, my what I'm. Okay, my now. My let's do Amber's first. My pain, my hurts. Okay. Now, how hard is that one? What we as Americans, what do we normally do when something, let's say, bad happens, some hurtful thing happens? What do you normally do? I'll take care of this. You know, we all don't feel bad. We all do. But is God big enough to handle our? Pain, our hurts, our wants, our what was that word? Now? Today. Okay. Yeah, sometimes we put that big, big thing over God, you know, and it's more, the vast majority of things are just day to day small things. Our future, our pain, our now. <laughs> I bet you did. What was it? You forgot? Yeah. If you remember, you make sure you. You're bad. Is God? Is that what you said? You're you're bad. Okay. Is God able to handle our bad? I hope he is, because we've all got a whole bunch of bads. Okay? That's why, one of the reasons, one, one of the many reasons why Jesus came, to handle our bads. Thank you. How about our prayers? That's something that we sometimes get a little fudgy on. Is God able to handle my wants, petitions, uh, those prayers we send up every day. I get overwhelmed, God, by prayer. I may tell God something he has never heard before. No. Of course he didn't handle that. How about our Thanksgiving? Does God enjoy our Thanksgivings? 
Yeah, even God likes to hear a thank you. Well, you're doing a good job, God. You know, he made us in his image. Not so much a, a physical image, a handsome guy like Jim and Curtis, but it's more of a, a spiritual image. And as Amber says, we all like to be thanked. God likes to be thanked. So yes, I think he's big enough to handle anything you want to throw on your list. Bads included. Our complaints? Or that was lament. What's another fancy, what's another word for lament for guys like me? Our guilt? Okay, our doubts? Okay. That's why Habakkuk is one of my favorite books. Habakkuk gets mad at God. What are you doing? And God helps him see what he's doing. Once again, he is a sovereign God. But Habakkuk was angry with God. And God can handle that too, folks. There's nothing you're going to throw at God that he has not seen before. Try it. <laughs> okay. All right, next week, uh, like I said, God has even bigger plans for this story. Um, Next week, we're going to get some visitors who come out, hands up. And what, what Joseph does, this is what the, one of the freaky parts of this story, the little tests and little things that Joseph puts his brothers through <laughs> when they come uh, begging for food. Or begging, but they're going to pay, but yeah. There's nothing you can say, Jim, that we have never heard before. Yes, should this be a similar story, uh, well, if it's not a story, it's the truth, as to what God made Jesus go through from the beginning? His training? And yes, through all of the, here's what I'm saying, Jesus went through everything that we're going through right now. Mm -hmm. He didn't sin. So you're saying possibly that his training was those 28, 30 years up to the time he became his... No, I think that... Could Jesus have done what he did at the age of 12 when he realized who he was? Probably not. I don't think. I mean, he was like us. Would your 12 year old at one time been ready to do what Jesus did? Go ahead and say it. No. <laughs> but not when they were 12. Uh, you know, so was that a training, those 28, 30 years? Yeah, it's, it's a distinct possibility. Because he had, he says he had to learn obedience. He was like us. It did not come. Oh. I'm God's son. I am perfect. He had to do that. Had to learn it. He just didn't. If it came just uh, miraculously, then he wouldn't have been like us. We're all guilty of that. Yeah. Joseph did. It's because of God he told us that we were. Not me. But that hit me really hard, you know. For example, 
Thank you, God, for pet. You know, she's the best helper that I ever known in my life. We're approaching 62 years because of God. And thank you, God, for all of my children, my grandson, my great grandson. I don't thank him enough for what he does to me. Agreed. It's not a confession. I'm just telling you. No, nope, I agree. That's agree. how I feel right now. Yeah. And listening to our blessing. Once again, you didn't tell us anything we didn't already know. <laughs> it kind of got me in the corner song. <laughs> no. Uh, be thankful to El Shaddai for what he does for you, not just every day, but in your past, in your future. He's got your future in his hands. So, uh, and the old Allstate commercial, and that's, it's very worldly, but it's also very godly. God's got us in his hands. Okay. My goodness, we're going late. Okay. Um, thank you for the glass of Thomas. We'll see y'all next week, and we're going to bring some brothers into the, the scene next week.